When you drive in Phoenix and you come to a busy intersection, often someone is there on the side of the road asking for money. And you have to decide what should you do. Or perhaps you go to dinner with a friend and you know that it would be a hardship for them to pay their half. Do you pick up the check? And a third scenario, you are at temple and it is Passover or the High Holy Days and you see the request to send money to Mazon, the Jewish organization which fights hunger issues. Do you send money in? These are situations that we all face. The United States is one of the wealthiest countries in the world, but here the wealthiest 10% hold 85% of the assets. During this pandemic, poor people tended to get poorer. Economic inequality between those with wealth and those without has widened. Many jobs have been cut and people in service industries have been hit particularly hard. Racial financial inequality, meaning the difference between what white people and African American, Latino, and Native Americans earn also continued to grow. For each of us, there are truths about this world which we would prefer to ignore. I think for many people, the reality of poverty is one of these. For anyone who is currently a person of privilege, and by that I mean someone who knows where the next meal is coming from, we usually don't have to reflect much on the plight of the impoverished if we choose not to. Nobody forces us to. We can ignore the needs no matter how great they are. But our tradition has a different message for us. In Deuteronomy, in this week's Torah portion, Re'eh, Moses is sharing with the Israelites God's words about the new society they should set up when they enter the promised land. They should have one centralized place to worship. They should keep kosher. They should take care not to neglect the Levite because the Levites do not own land. And then the portion says, there shall be no needy among you, since the Lord your God will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a hereditary portion. If only you heed the Lord your God and take care to keep all this instruction that I enjoin upon you this day. It's a beautiful image, no needy. It's an exquisite ideal and a terrific promise. But is it a promise? Is God promising that there will be no needy? If we look at the text closely, we see that this statement requires partnership. On the one hand, God is promising an earth with abundant resources. And indeed, we are told today by those in the know that there are enough resources on the earth to feed every person. But the biblical text says there will be enough if we keep God's instruction. 
What is that instruction? Well, the portion has the chutzpah to go on to seemingly contradict this promise that there will be no needy people. Because it then says, if there is a needy person among you, one of your kinsmen in your gates, do not harden your heart, nor shut, nor shut your hand against your needy kinsmen. And it goes on to say, rather you must surely open your hand and lend him sufficient for whatever he lacks. The text continues. It says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelite who, are, who is poor and needy. So contradictory. There'll be no needy. There always will be poor. So the real message actually is quite clear. There will be no needy if you are willing to always help those in need. That is the ideal. But the reality on the ground is that there will be people in need. And we are called upon to remember our partnership with God. God has given us an abundant earth. We are commanded to be willing to help our fellow humans. The rabbis have a lot of advice to give us about tzedakah, about righteous giving. The Vilna Gaon, writing in the 1700s, he took a clo close look at the text when it says to not shut your hand. And he says, when you open your hand, you notice that every finger is a different length. So too, he said, with tzedakah, because every person has different needs, our obligation to each one should be in accordance with his or her unique situation. The Vilna Gaon calls us to think about each person as an individual and to respond accordingly. Of course, we can't always know what is truly going on with another person, but we can try to keep this, thinking, this thought in mind when we make decisions. I know I do my best to use this way of thinking when deciding whether or not to give to a person who is on that street corner requesting money. If I think that they are on drugs, which is sometimes evident from behavior, then I do not give funds because I don't want them going to that. Other times, it seems that the person is truly down on their luck, and I do give. There's actually a different Jewish teaching, however, that encourages us to give something to every person who asks. Two reasons are given for this way of reacting. One. It, quote, builds, builds our generosity muscle. That is, we learn to be giving and caring by acting in this way over and over. Plus, since we cannot really know for sure who is needy and who is not, if we give every time, then for sure we are helping those in need. In the Talmud, the rabbis serve as our mentors on how to do righteous giving well. One story says that Rabbi Abba used to bind money in his scarf, sling it on his back, and place it at the disposal of the poor. By doing this, Rabbi Abba would be able to help others as he walked around, and the person who needed the funds would not need to ask and would not have to feel ashamed about getting the money since the person giving it was not seeing the gift. 
We are also told in the Talmud of Mar Ukba. There was a poor person in his neighborhood into whose door socket he used to throw four coins every day. The story goes that once the man who was receiving that money wanted so badly to know who was giving him that money that he decided that he would find out. So one day, as the money came in the door, he opened the door quickly, and Rabbi Marukba went running into the bushes to get away and not to be seen. Why? Because, says the Talmud, quote, one should throw oneself into a fiery furnace rather than publicly put his neighbor to shame. When I read that story, several things come to mind, such as the need to fight the underlying causes of food insecurity so people don't have to feel that shame or suffer the terrible challenges of poverty. Giving to Mazon is one great way to do that. Mazon fights to end hunger by advancing policy solutions that confront hunger's root causes. Among the great works that this Jewish organization does is it advances policy efforts to help military families, Native Americans, and other groups in the US who particularly suffer from food insecurity. This story also brings to mind, if I might say, that there are ways right here in this congregation to help. I'd like to remind everyone that we have a hardship relief fund that anyone can donate to and that people can then request help from. And of course, we have discretionary funds, which is another way that we help people. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zichrono Livracha, made the important point that in Judaism, Poverty is conceived of not merely in material terms. It is also understood to take a psychological toll. Poverty humiliates. It robs people of their dignity, and it makes them dependent on others, thus depriving them of a sense of independence. Maimonides taught, whoever gives tzedakah to the poor with a bad grace and averted eyes has lost all the merit of his actions, even if he gives a thousand gold pieces. He or she should give with good grace and with joy and should sympathize with the person who is poor. Unlike some religious systems, Judaism refuses to romanticize poverty or to anesthetize its pain. The rabbis reject the idea that poverty is a blessed state. In fact, they call it a kind of death. They said nothing is harder to bear than poverty because he who is crushed by it is like one to whom all the troubles of the world cling. If all other troubles, they said, were placed on one side of a scale and poverty on the other, poverty would outweigh them all. And well before American psychologist Abraham Maslow came up with his, his hierarchy of human needs, Maimonides said, the well-being of the soul can only be obtained after that of the body has been secured. You cannot reach spiritual heights if you have no food to eat or lack access to medical attention or are beset by financial worries. 
I remember a period when I was growing up when money was very tight in my family. I'm sure I'm not alone here in having such memories. I know what a burden that financial insecurity was for my parents. When you have lived through that, you do not forget it. And I know that for some in our congregation, this is not a distant memory, but a current reality. And so our Torah portion says to us, do not harden your heart or shut your hand against your needy kinsmen. You must surely open your hand and give readily. I'm reminded of something that the late Rabbi Arnold J. Wolf said. He said, people say, Rabbi, God doesn't seem to speak anymore. And Rabbi Wolf said, my experience is just the opposite. God is always speaking to me. God won't be quiet. Arnold, why haven't you done this yet? What about this other thing that needs to be done? So it should be for us. After all, our tradition teaches that God is urgent about justice. Our Torah portion begins with the word re'eh, see. We are to open our eyes and see who needs our assistance, and then to open our hands and our pockets. None of us can get rid of poverty alone, but we can all help. In this season of Elul, may we increase our tzedakah to those in need. Shabbat Shalom.